0: Mike, Mike, and Hunter.
1: We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also Mike in a moment as we bring you another Oscar race checkpoint chock full of all sorts of reviews and box office analysis and uh, two angry mics. right, Mike? I'm salty. I'm I'm
0: very salty (laughs) right now. I've been pining for this Italian uh, Pixar film for months, and I watched it, and I'm just like, I'm just so mad.
1: I'm so mad. I'm the very, pasta, very, like usually, I'm the one in the minority on these these things, and like have to play the yeah. bad guy. And I'm fine with that role. I'm comfortable. I've made a, a a nice little niche for myself inside there. I I get giddy when you have to like go against the majority because you are very capable of getting full of piss and vinegar. You just you, you are more rational and optimistic than yeah. I am most times.
0: But I am a I am a full blown Italian. I'm like <laughs> seven eighths Italian, and we have tempers. And this movie crossed me. It just crossed me. It made me very angry. The pasta looked terrible. The no, I mean, look, I I I think Disney Plus is probably going to do well with this whole ordeal. And ultimately, I can't get irate over a movie like Luca because it's relatively harmless. It has a very mm-hmm. nice message of Mer people are people too. They're the mm-hmm. same, exactly the same. We've seen this. It's won Best Pictures. They're sexy, fine
1: i disagree on all of that, but yes, go ahead.
0: <laughs> however, when the story is just utter nonsense, like Mike, the villain of the story is twenty years old. The fi- the set piece of the whole movie is a triathlon <laughs> of physical strength, where this one twenty year old person competes against a, a, an entire village full of ten, eleven, and twelve year olds.
1: That why is the story. Is, why is the twenty year old there?
0: Why? And everybody's cheering on the (laughs) 20-year-old. And they're happy when the 20-year-old pushes down an 11-year-old. Are you kidding me? Well, I just let's, want to strangle everybody.
1: Let's let's set the table here. We are talking about Luca in a Make the Case segment. We're going to have a couple Make the Cases to start off this ORC. The early reviews are positive. It's got a 71 Metascore. It's got a 91% on 148 reviews right now on Rotten Tomatoes. You obviously do not see this that way. Did you have problems aside from the story, or are most of your complaints just story-based?
0: The animation is is gorgeous. So uh,
1: there's a, there's goods delivered
0: in that regard. The the water looks great. The the, the Italian uh, village there is just beautiful. Monte Bene. Molte bene. <laughs> Did they borrow yes. from Me
1: uh, by your name? Is it very uh, Guadagnino inspired?
0: It's an a Ita- Mike. You here you are deriving <laughs> all Italian villages to call me by your name because it's the one Italian movie you saw in the last five years.
1: Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, just, I just want to be sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, the kid does have sex with a peach and Luca though too. So <laughs> really, hard right. right turn for maybe a Pixar. You're maybe you're right. No, <laughs> look at. I think, I think Luca, Luca has story problems, and that's not something you expect with Pixar. You don't yeah, expect world building problems. I mean, they they make toys come alive, and you believe it every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Right, with mm-hmm. a thousand different. Like uh, little uh, nuances with with Woody and how the, the toys have to operate in the real world. We, we see four movies of it, Michael. Right. We did how many podcast episodes on the Toy Story films and on all the other Pixar films that just, you know, set our imaginations on fire, sometimes literally voiced by Lewis Black. And here, <laughs> and here, this is just, all right, we have people, we have regular people, the Mer people could come to the surface, and when they're not wet, they turn into regular people. Yay!
1: <laughs> That's it. They just had to dry.
0: And, and and the Wallace and Gromit good dinosaur type character designs—they don't necessarily fit in the the maximum realism to the grass that looks like real grass and the water that looks like real water. And then when you do these cartoony Mer people, and they just dry, like you just said, into Wallace and Gromit look likes it makes no sense like every single character in luca is either an idiot or an asshole there's, a, there's there's just there's no other way of explaining it and i love the voice actors i love jiv gaffigan i love maya rudolph not italian either fine i love them i don't care i want to rip this movie apart plot point by plot point further because there's a lot more things right. it's just so dumb that i can't Get over it. I th- I got mad in the episode we did <laughs> down the well with swell where you guys had the audacity of being worried about this one. I'm <laughs> even angrier right now because you were right, and were adding insult to injury, all of these other people on film, Twitter, and everywhere else. 91 percent. Are you kidding me? This movie sucked.
1: It's ridiculous. I feel like I should just be sitting back and smoking a cigarette. I feel like I could <laughs> use that right now and just like <laughs> rubbing my chest. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, so they, I think there's a bigger conversation here about the relevancy of the Tomato Meter too, though, because mm-hmm. this isn't a 91% film, right? Well, that's the thing. It's
0: not an A-grade right. for any of these people, I'm guessing. Uh, in fact, a lot of the film Twitter arguments and discourse we've been reading has said this is lesser Pixar. This is mm-hmm. clearly lesser Pixar. But I get that it's harmless, and I get that people watch an animated film and they're like, all right, I don't need this to have the realism of... Of a Martin Scorsese film or, or, or whatever, I I get that. However, the stories of Pixar should be held to a higher high standard. The stories of Disney should be held to a high standard. And kids deserve better than this. Kids are smarter than we think. To give them this nonsense is is
1: doesn't help kids. It doesn't help kids learn anything. For Christ's sake, what are we doing? So. Is there any kind of angle which you can see this in this year showing up in the animated feature category at all? Absolutely,
0: yes. Because yeah. I, I could totally see this doing well for Disney+. Plus. I could totally see this being just a happy, innocent watch that they put on for kids in the background, and kids are fine with it. Look, maybe a 7-year-old doesn't care about anything I'm saying, and they're like, yeah, beat up that 20-year-old on a Vespa. <laughs> Great. <laughs>
1: I can assure you, being surrounded by uh, far too often a, a newly minted five-year-old and an eight-year-old, uh, I think that's accurate. Sadly, <laughs> they think they could beat a twenty-year-old with a harpoon. I get it.
0: Fine, a harpoon.
1: Yeah, there's harpoons all over. There's I'm poon so all over happy. this movie, I didn't hit Mike. Play on this movie.
0: <laughs> this Pixar film has a lot of poon. <laughs> so.
1: so if you. What age range is this suitable for? It has to be a young age range. It it's has just to be, the, the kids. Th- that's the, young the difference.
0: Kids. Yeah, and that's the difference to this movie. Like every Pixar film is played just as much for adults as it has for kids, right. and some even more so. Like we said with Soul, and and on the backs of Cruella, which was made for me and you, it wasn't right. made for kids at all. I felt I felt like this is a surprise from Disney. I, again, I understand if you're making a kids movie, but. I don't know. I, I just I've seen such smarter kids' movies with world building that works for everybody, and, and a and a story that makes sense. This is just nonsense.
1: I mean, it's sad to hear. I guess there's some good, but if if you're if you're a parent stuck at home or trying to have a nice uh, you know summer movie night in with the kids, there's not much entertainment in this for you.
0: Look, it, it's harmless. As they're mowing my grass, sorry, it's harmless unless you're worried about your kid. Having a fish fetish later in life and a merperson <laughs> fetish later in life, like if you have a little Guillermo del Toro running around the house, right? A double feature and of know, this in yeah, Shape of Water. You know he likes the creature from mm-hmm. the Black uh, Black Lagoon, and. <laughs> You might want to worry, and you might... Yeah, Little Mermaid, and then this. On top of that, you, you might be in
1: trouble. All right, so watch it for kids. We hope it doesn't have Academy legs. It wouldn't surprise us if it does. Well, Don't expect a regular Pixar goods if you're an adult being watching this with your children. It's, it's a wide-open
0: like. category, though, quickly, Michael. We said Flea is probably there, the Sundance movie, mm-hmm. the, the, the hard drama, all right? They basically just animated a documentary there that, that has, uh, packs a wallop. We know Encanto... Is coming from Disney. That's going to be a major release this fall. Vivo is going to be another, the third Lin Manuel Miranda musical that will hit Netflix from Sony Animation. We think those three are there. Otherwise, The Mitchells and the Machines, Ryan the Last Dragon, Luca, Wish Dragon, which I just watched, which is equally benign but equally ridiculous. The Aladdin story for no reason in China. I don't, it's just really ridiculous. I don't which know. Which did why you enjoy like most
1: that. out of those three with, uh, with flea, a uh, wish dragon and Raya, Luca,
0: flea. Oh, f- how do you? That's like comparing uh, American Factory.
1: Well, to... I- I'm saying I'm saying as you as an if you were an Oscar voter, if it was the Academy of Also Mike, and you had to rank those in your animated feature category. I'd have to pick Flea, but I'm an old curmudgeon,
0: as we've established in this review.
1: <laughs> so are, so is most of the Academy. That's why we do well I here. hope
0: so. Coming off the pandemic, I hope people are salty and ornery, and they're trying to podcast while their lawn is being mowed unexpectedly, and yeah. All
1: right. Well, there's a, a quick uh, make the case. Luca lacks and... I don't think that's all that surprising and it's again there's a bigger conversation about what exactly the tomato meter stands for and I know you and I were talking off mic I mean there's a frustration there when the tomato meter is treated properly by the critics and yet it reflects this grade it's I think they should do away with the number I think the number is very misleading because we have in our heads that this is a 91% film and nobody's necessarily saying that but that's not how it gets talked about in conventional everyday conversation when a movie is a 91 ranking on the tomato meter either
0: but still even still 71 Metascore is fairly high. Yes it is. On meta. Yes it is. So that's that's strange as well. Again, the animation is beautiful. I guess that there's goods delivered, but I don't know. It's harmless unless mer people <laughs> and people start to intermarry and that's not a thing you want
1: in the future. Hey, man. I am not here to judge. Uh, (laughs) We can talk from one frustrating conversation about the animated features to another conversation that has is fraught with frustrations. We'll go into a box office update here. Uh, the title of this one is that the Hitman's wife bodyguard, which is just titled that really just is so easy to say made 3.9 million on its opening Wednesday night. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that's the third best Wednesday of 2021 thus far. So that's some good news for big studio films and some good news for theaters overall. And theaters are desperately in need of good news. We have the Hollywood reporter saying that this one is expected To open in somewhere in the mid teens once this weekend has passed, which is going to give it similar numbers for opening night and a projected weekend as what Tom and Jerry did in theaters, even though it was also released on HBO Max. Tom and Jerry uh, is currently over 46 million for its domestic box office run thus far, so I guess there's slowly but surely some decent news. This is the better news of what we're about to talk about with the box office, (laughs) no question.
0: Uh, we have four million. That it, yeah, it becomes twenty-ish million by the end of the week, which would be a decent haul considering the first Hitman's Bodyguard film made seventeen mil- million in its opening weekend, seventy-five million domestically, one hundred seventy-six worldwide. Michael, so this seems like a you know a project that is fairly a conservative release that they think all right, this could do enough to justify us releasing it now during this pandemic. Unfortunately, we're going to see some much bigger budgets coming through here with these other films mm-hmm. that where it gets very murky on do we know if it's profitable or not. The, I'm rooting for Lionsgate here. They've they've had some fun movies of the last year, very ambitious films. Uh, they've been kind to us, and I, I, I want to see this movie in theaters. And guess what, Mike? It's only playing in theaters, so we should...
1: Yeah, we should probably go see it. I wish I reviewed this instead of Luca. (laughs) There's something something to be said, too, about there being a legitimate sequel whose numbers are going to rival its original, and it's only being a theatrical release. And that's kind of an apples-to-apples comparison that makes it easy for us to digest, whereas going forward here and talking about the movies we're going to be talking about and the box office numbers we're going to be, it's kind of... New land for us. We're foraging west in the olden times right now because we're trying to make opinions here and we think we know what we're talking about, but it could all be, it is all speculation and conjecture on our part for the most part. It's a lot of speculation.
0: Uh, we're, we're doing our best to weed through it. We're very thankful to guys like Tom Brugerman yes. at IndieWire there, who uh, really dives deeper than we could. And we, we read a lot of IndieWire this week and, and last week for Can, etc. This is a this is a nice time for IndieWire with Tribeca, etc. So read IndieWire.com, guys. We're big fans. But Mike, yeah, the the conversation gets. Gets weirder here as we look at what In the Heights did a week earlier. Eleven million dollars on its opening weekend. It was projected somewhere around twenty million. And look, WB has seemingly stopped reporting grosses on Box Office Mojo at least. So that's something studios can can do now. So uh, yeah, look, as of yesterday, it
1: was listed uh, at five million dollars still, even though it was reported in the trades that the eleven point six or the eleven point eight number was the one going around.
0: So, yeah, they're they're purposely making a gray area even grayer or white. I don't know what to make of yeah. this going forward. We're not even going to know if it has longer legs than expected. So th- that's the thing. We've seen musicals in the recent past. We saw it with The Greatest Showman. Mike was released during a Christmas break, came out for, to a very tepid opening. It did fine. Uh, but it, it, a very modest opening weekend. And then every day during that holiday break, it seemed to make another like 10, 15 million, another 10. And then, you know, it, it, it amassed a huge total at the end of the day. That's not what's going to happen here with In the Heights. It can't happen because of the timing on the calendar. can't happen because of the pandemic still being a thing. And Tom Bergerman also, you know, gave another dozen reasons for why this movie does not show legs going on in the future or the the capacity to necessarily hold like other musicals in the past so that does not speak well for in the heights
1: i i think there's this is a pretty clear letdown Mm -hmm. for both in the heights lin-manuel miranda and wb i mean there's all sorts of takes out there and last week with the success of the conjuring day and date streaming was being praised as something that can help theaters and this week and this weekend especially as you kind of said this already the projected number for in the heights kept dropping it went from a promising or okay 20 million opening projecting to a relatively disappointing 13 million dollar opening and then the letdown of the 11.6 million that it finally settled around where it actually finished the opposite was being written that day and date streaming is ruining theaters and adding to its demise the truth probably is somewhere in the middle as it always is mm-hmm. But I, I think I'm comfortable in saying that WB can't be thrilled with the th- theatric numbers, or even really the streaming numbers, if you break those down like Bruggeman did in his article. Right. I, this, I, I think this has to be a letdown for the studio, never mind what we're going to say about the theaters. Yeah, Brugerman
0: said 693,000 views was the Samba projection. Mm-hmm. There, they calculate the streaming numbers there, and that is far less than what we know for Justice League, for instance. So, Mm -hmm. look, I mean, if you do $10 a movie ticket, $12 a movie ticket, whatever you do, and you you say, all right, in the Heights, if those viewers obviously went to the movies, then that's $7 million. All right, Right. add that to the 11, okay, 18 million. Maybe people are not freaking out quite as much. Maybe you could do some math, and that'll eventually, with international box office, get to the $150 million threshold, if if that's even the threshold, maybe it's one twenty five. million make In the Heights profitable at the end of the day. The fact is, Mike, Snyder's cut did something like uh, 2 million views. So that that would equate to like $20 million a box office. That's only available on streaming now, which... I, I gotta think that based on the marketing push that they did, based on the rollout that they had at Tribeca, like you said, they were hoping for yeah. similar numbers to Mortal Kombat. They're ho- in Conjuring 3. They're hoping to do the best of both worlds, do the 25 million plus, what it, it's hopefully doing on HBO Max. But the fact that it didn't even equate to the Snyder Cut number, that's alarming.
1: I would think this puts a stop to WB pouring more money into this, too like for how much it was pushed and how much they did tout it and never mind the controversy that came around with it, which we're going to talk about after this story, but just speaking and focusing on its box office for now, I I would think it probably hurts not only in the Heights financially, obviously I would think it might hurt uh, the next Lin-Manuel Miranda adaptation from getting a big studio budget WB probably cause they do have a loaded schedule this year. They're they're probably going to sink more money into Dune. I would think if they're going to be chasing awards with, with, any one property necessarily king richard as well as something that uh, that our buddy brian formo pointed out and mentioned uh too so uh, wb has options look we thought in the heights was going to be a player it had a lot of big heavy word of mouth and we thought that would equate to watching or viewership momentum and it just doesn't seem like that happened
0: i gave it a b plus you gave it a b minus right so neither one of us was over the moon on in the heights when we reviewed even though i was i was higher on it than you and you played the sad face and i played the happier face more so for that review i still think i I still think the movie had problems with the with the with the story especially in the third act that that kind of bars it from the no-brainer best picture uh you know and then coattails nomination kind of oscar player but now we look at this whole week and we're saying this is not going to be there much at all unfortunately and it is unfortunate because i do think some of the goods delivered are better goods than we've seen from movies in a while and john and that's that's a shout out to john m chu and lin-manuel miranda mm-hmm. etc but they do have this controversy and controversy made worse uh by rita moreno's comments on the colbert show and and it's it's very clear that uh this controversy has hurt it somewhat and, and for good reason because it's 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 the truth, and Rita Moreno's apologized for her comments, and Lin Manuel has apologized for the fact that In the Heights did not have enough Afro Latino representation in its main cast. I think it had uh, a very diverse, uh, inclusive representation in terms of its overall dance troupe and all the actors involved in the the huge set pieces. We, re- I mean, that's the really the one thing we remarked on. But yeah, I think I feel like an ignorant dumbass myself yeah, or not. For not recognizing that, hey, you know, there's not Afro-Latino representation in the core cast. And and that's unfortunate. The core cast did a great job. That's not to say anything disparaging against them, but it's not representative of that community, clearly.
1: Right. And and speaking about how to market and push and advocate for an Oscars picture or any kind of awards follow-up with a movie like this... If it's a summer release, you're already up against it. If it's a summer release in this year, you're already up against it enough. Never mind what streaming has to do with you know the, the right. bad box office numbers and etc. If you have any kind of serious controversy, and this is a serious controversy... And it's well-founded, and I think people have a right to be upset about it. I could just see the studio wiping their hands of all of it and just say, you know, we can't afford to pour any more money into pushing this film when we're so wrong on this front, and it's already disappointing. And maybe it is disappointing in a larger part because of this controversy, and people are right about the controversy anyway. I could just see WB. We We have other properties we want to get behind. I think the announcement and the confirmation of Dune playing Venice... Regardless of when Dune was actually booked in Venice, I think that to me suggests WB's like, okay, we're moving on, we're done with In the Heights. It does signal somewhat of a pivot
0: there. Now that, that's not to say In the Heights can't get two or three nominations at the end of the day. No, but it, no, it does work against the film, much like and obviously the controversies are entirely different. But much like we saw with First Man or Tenant, which mm-hmm. Tenant was just a strange mangled set of controversies but again the commonality here is underperformance at the box office whenever you see these tentpole films Mm -hmm. or these movies that are supposed to be summer blockbusters or blockbusters released in a strange release date you're absolutely right they have to be hits for them to have oscar legs in most cases again for the 10 time oscar nominee etc we don't we, we haven't seen I mean, First Man underperformed at the Oscars and award season as well as at the box office. Yep. And maybe, again, people are going to say, well, that's because it wasn't a good film or because it had mixed reviews or whatever. But I don't know. I, I look at these movies and uh, we, can, we can give our opinion on, on the the quality of the story. But it is a confidence game at the end of the day. It does uh, signal to marketing campaigns at, the, at 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 during award season and you're absolutely right it is, wb is probably cooling on on pushing in the heights down the line
1: And for those of you playing the Mike, Mike and Oscar home drinking game, you can go bottoms up for keeping our streak alive of mentioning first man in every consecutive episode that we do. So we're doing well there, too. We're just uh, we're hitting our benchmarks here, Mike. So the Oscars are certainly one part of this, and we think we have a good grasp on what we are reading the tea leaves and seeing WB doing in terms of In the Heights as an Oscars contender. The day and date streaming and the effect that HBO Max and any streaming service has on domestic box office is kind of another one, right? It's it's definitely the the the
0: larger part of this because it's it's an industry shift, right? We yeah. We're seeing the industry shift to streaming, and I feel as if a lot of the happy movie reviewers out there are ignoring the fact that box office in movie theaters, regardless of pandemic numbers, is at all time lows, and is, is it's terrifying me, Michael. It's terrifying yeah, to me. I, that we're I sometimes feel
1: like we're the boys who cry wolf. When yeah, it comes
0: no, to we're this. the only negative assholes here, and I get that we have to be negative. I, I, I can't help it. I can't help it. I, I see what we what we see, and the fact that a four million dollar Wednesday is the good news, right. Of all of this, is <laughs> box office
1: in general is still doing forty percent of what it did two years ago, right? Like, like we don't have to wallow in it, but mm-hmm. we have to recognize the
0: fact that if, if you don't get this money. Two movie theaters—they are going to be in for a reckoning, both on the large scale with chains, and certainly, and more, more importantly, and more, and in terms of them being in more, much more danger. Mike, the the art house, the art house is in a, in a huge amount of yeah. trouble, and maybe they have subsidies holding them over for the for the time being. And I know some of those are delayed. Maybe they're just able to hang tough. But that's not going to be the case going forward if we just have a small percentage of the box office being made as compared to other years. Again, we've covered the international box office doing well. We've cut, but you, you can't tell me that a, a $11 million lead weekend in the middle of June is a good. Uh, that's a disaster. That's a freaking catastrophe, Mike. And it's not getting much better next weekend. Are you say? The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguards makes twenty million, and everybody's going to be, you know, parading with that. I I'm, again, I'm happy for that movie because that's a smarter play by Lionsgate putting that movie out now. But it's it's still a disaster. I I hope, for the love of God, I hope Black Widow really tent poles this thing up. And I hate to say that, but you know, because we're not always the tent pole folks. But yeah. that's the truth. We need money going back to movie theaters.
1: The I have a couple thoughts. Uh, one is I. I am always the pessimistic one of the two, so to hear you be so dire about it should definitely ring alarm bells, but it's true. I've already kind of accepted that the local theater in like five, ten years, your small little local theater is going to be an AMC theater or it's not going to exist because I don't see how... I've seen it just in the area we live in, driving yeah. around. I mean, I've seen a couple independent theaters be able to survive. I, there's been far more that have closed their doors. I don't see how any small locally run theater that's part of the community is going to be able to survive on these numbers unless the government just keeps writing laws and handing out money which obviously half the government is vehemently against already as it is never mind getting into more of that so to say this isn't a concern or to just be happy that theaters are opening back up i don't know that that's enough i share your concern and i've already kind of accepted the grim fate i think and whether or not a lot of people are or whether or not a lot of people just you know have their fingers crossed hoping for a miracle we said when this pandemic started like there needs to be some kind of innovation for theaters to survive and there's been nothing (laughs) the innovations have gone against them right the the main innovation has been streaming for major studios to get them more money so maybe in the heights box office You know, talk about all you want, whether or not it's an Oscars player. I don't think WB gives a shit, frankly, about its box office. I mean, they care somewhat, but they care far more, I would say, about the impact In The Heights has in getting them more streaming subscriptions. Look, That's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem.
0: And that's what we've been talking about for six months. When we did that math, I'm not going to give you another math lesson now that is just insulting to myself and all of you, but (laughs) obviously... The subscriber number is what matters, and if if HBO Max is going over a hundred million subscribers this year, three billion dollars worth of you know movie budgets is a very small price to pay because at sixteen dollars a month, a hundred million subscriptions, do that math, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine in that case.
1: I think the more alarming part for me is. How many institutions related to the movie industry have proven that they genuinely don't care if theaters survive? Like, that's the thing. Right. Big studios care about streaming right now and streaming numbers. And that's just, you know, logically and and logistically against getting butts into, into theater seats the Academy had all uh, an entire year to prove they gave a shit about theaters. They had a whole program that they did, could have raised. They could have done anything up to, and they, it, nothing happened. Like these movie entities, it, they pay a lot of lip service, but what's being done to save your local theater?
0: It's, it's local theaters and it's, the, the big chains that are going to have problems if these grosses continue. And- At least
1: AMC can raise money. They keep they keep increasing their debt. They've proven they could stay afloat. It, it, like I don't know why the investors keep shoveling cash over to them. I guess they see an end game here where they think theaters are going to Returned on their investment somehow, but at least the big AMC's and the international players—I don't think those are going to go away anytime soon. Well, the inter- yeah they're
0: an international company, right. so the international box office is much healthier than this. We've seen nine hundred million dollar blockbusters in China. We've seen mm-hmm. multiple blockbusters over five hundred million over this last calendar year. Again, based on Chinese box office, international box office, we're not seeing that in. in Domestically and for obvious reasons that we're 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 happy with a hundred million dollars right. for for a movie and of course I understand that it's going to take time for things to play out but if you just have these day and date releases and that's what is the norm moving forward you are going to change viewing habits especially for huge demographics of people who are not dumb enough to go pay twenty dollars a head for movie tickets when they could just watch it at home or wait 3 weeks and mm-hmm. still watch it at home. And that is that is clearly what's happening right now. You said it before, Mike, a couple different times. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. You can't give people something right which is glorious at home and it's sustaining them right. and then take it away from them and expect you know them to, to react the same way like the good old days like the like the old times it's yeah. not going to happen
1: and if the studios are feasting off of the genie being out of the bottle they, they want more genies you know they don't care <laughs> they don't care about the domestic and they don't care about uh traditional theatrical view i mean i don't want to say they don't care because obviously they did, but like you know what i mean they their focus their primary focus and their primary goal is on enlarging their subscriber base and their subscriptions well well, let's finally transition now because this next story i think is going to hit
0: this in another way we have dune being confirmed for the venice film festival dune is of course the quote-unquote crown jewel of this wb slate this 2021 slate that was moved from theatrical to day and date both hbo max and uh in movie theaters mike
1: so I think Dune is clearly going to be WB's centerpiece. I mean, again, I think their official confirming of it playing Venice was a big moment for WB's awards progression throughout this year. There's been a lot of controversy about what Dune is actually, how Dune is going to be handled by WB, because there was that report last month that we didn't really have a chance to comment on that said, well, WB is going to actually renege on their promise to debut every new uh, premiere, both on day and date streaming and in theaters, and that Dune was only going to go to theaters uh, primarily and exclusively. And then about a week later, Joanna Fuentes, who's WB's head of communication, said on her Twitter, she reaffirmed, no, actually, we're going to keep Dune with day-and-date streaming, and it's going to play both in-home streaming and uh, in theaters like every other release we have for 2021 is going to be. So again, I mean, it just, I think Dune being confirmed for Venice is a big deal for the Oscars handling of WB. I think Dune being confirmed to stay day-and-date in streaming is another just sharp knife into what domestic box office it's going to do.
0: I couldn't agree more and it's a, a vote of confidence for them to play a film festival a month before its theatrical release or before its streaming release I would say uh, in terms of awards punditry that's a good sign the fact that they're willing to put it in Venice where it will get right. reviewed by all the critics where eyes will be on it by all the critics before it makes its money that's very important and that's a, sh- a sign of confidence for WB now i wonder about the other side of this and it's very complex mike we just went over it like how much does dune have to make in theaters and how many new subscribers does it have to gain is it about gaining more subscribers at that point or is it just about giving them new content to keep them subscribed on hbo max domestically or is the international box office projected to be something good how are they making their money back for this tentpole property at wb that's my big question and have they already made their money and they're just gonna leave it the way things are and they're happy with this business model as it's going forward and then like you said for like we we were talking about in the last segment what does that do to movie theaters this is supposed to be a tentpole to give movie movie theaters major you know earnings for whatever three-week period that it was supposed to make or base its business on, and you take—if you keep taking that away from movie theaters, they're going to be in a world of hurt.
1: There's so many sides of this too. Like Dune is going to be a huge test because you would think with the spe- the effects-driven nature of that movie. It's going to be something that, oh, you have to see it in theaters. But you could have said the same about Godzilla vs. Kong, and you've seen Godzilla vs. Kong a bunch, and not one time has it been in theaters, right? I
0: saw it twice on screener, and I saw it once at home on HBO Max when I said to myself, and this was me me being lazy and a 30-something, because I was going to watch it a third time a couple weeks after I... I reviewed it, and I studied it on another podcast, uh, Minorities Report Film, and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. I wish I saw Godzilla vs. Kong in theaters, and I said I was going to, and I said I wanted to, and that's all true. But, Mike, I, like, I've like done what every single HBO Max film, every single WB film up to this point, every single Disney Plus film that has played both ways. I paid $30 for Raya, Cruella, and whether we got a streamer or a screener or whatnot, I watch these movies at home. You you would say the same, wouldn't you? Have you seen uh, yeah. any of these movies in theaters?
1: No, I haven't gone to a theater since New Mutants, period. We're um, lazy. Yeah, you well, that's that's the... You give it to n- us
0: in front of our faces at home. We've right. got huge big screen TVs where we'll watch it to the best of our ability. Of course, it pales in comparison to the theatrical experience, but again, I think moviegoers are going to wait to watch it at yeah. home,
1: our age anyway. I tend to agree with you. So there's that aspect to this and Dune is going to be a, is going to be a huge test. Like A Quiet Place too, you should see in theater. Dune, you should see in theater. Does that mean people are going to? I think that's going to be a huge test. The other part of this, and speaking with both Dune and A Quiet Place and that's something you brought up, anybody who's owed back end off these films like Villeneuve, I imagine is and Krasinski and Emily Blunt are with A Quiet Place in that franchise. Like there's going to be huge legal battles coming down the pike as to and i would love to see the contracts these people are signing with the studios to see how the percentage and how many points how the points are going to be figured out that they're supposed to get on the back end of these things and we've already seen a legal battle like krasinski has already turned i remember reading this and i commented on it in twitter and i should have brought it up for this episode so i'm going off the top of my head so if i'm misremembering i apologize but john krasinski and emily blunt mm-hmm. and i believe one of the other writers involved with the quiet place already went to paramount and basically either did sue them or talked about uh, legal litigation or had some kind of conversation where they said basically like, look, you're hurting the the way you handled this with the theatrical release is hurting our end that we're supposed to be making money off of. And like on the one hand, it's like, does John Krasinski really need every penny he's owed to him? But the on the other hand, it's it's owed to him. <laughs> it's owed to the artist. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I, I I wonder how this is going to be handled not so much with the when it affects the Villeneuve's and the John Krasinskis of the world but the lesser people who have major hits on their hands that come from out of nowhere and they explode on streaming I I, I wonder I'm so curious to see the back end how the back end deals of these things are going to be figured out with streaming service being come to play and this is why we talk about it. it's just there's so many variables attached to streaming whether you're talking about the awards lens the the domestic box office lens how it's going to play in theater how it's going to affect the artists and the auteurs it's just all newfound land that we have not gone through yet and
0: the paramount story the paramount krasinski quiet place story is one of prosperity where it did well right. in its opening weekend and it probably will do well internationally in terms of its box office and it has a 45 day first window mm-hmm. before it goes to paramount plus so the question is how well does it do for paramount plus when it eventually gets there and i'm sure paramount is you know they're wondering and they're worried about that it does as well. And I don't know. I think the fact that the Krasinski's are making that case with this movie, that's again, one of prosperity where it's kind of like, all right, this is a good problem to have. How do you then make that case, you know, for a WB film? And what are they saying? I mean, it, cause it's gotta be, right. Right. You know, that's Exactly what I was more, trying to get. Thank you for clarifying. Especially for as a lawyer. lawyer. Like that's, they have much more of a case at WB, the directors against WB than, Krasinski's even has.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic point. I, I mean, I don't, I don't. This isn't going to end well. <laughs> like, I don't see how this ends happily for everybody. Obviously, the studios are going to make money. We know that.
0: But the corporation, the huge corporations and conglomerates are making money, especially. And they, they have...
1: always will, and that's the yeah, <laughs> the beauty There's and the beauty of this around. country. That's right, right. I, I just don't know how it trickles down from them and man it's going to affect a lot of the ways that we consume media as it already has
0: well that's why netflix you're going to see these huge deals going going around to to get the talent and that's mm-hmm. why we've seen them in the past because the money's there 200 million dollars for the knives out movies 250 whatever it was makes much more sense now and that's yeah. for the production budget
1: This is the country. This is just what... Entertainment is just content. It's just a constant stream of content now. I don't care if it's good or bad. Just let it be new and get it the hell out there. (laughs) It
0: it really is. And it it is a bit of a cynical slant to to what we're talking about. But I do think there's genuine alarm going on right now. And the Dune story, the fact that you have that dialogue going on in the press of, oh, well, will this one just be released theatrically? Is this you know, where's that coming from? Is that coming from movie theaters? Is that coming from journalists who are plugged in to all the voices from the theatrical side of things because that is where their business was based for so many years? Are are they getting the outcries from theatricals saying that this, we can't keep doing this. Here's the next blockbuster. Here's the big fall blockbuster. And it's gonna, you're actually gonna still do the day and date thing with that one as well. So what does that mean for us? We're supposed to get x hundreds of millions of dollars from that domestically over three weeks. Right. Are we still going to get that, or or is it going to be $100 million? If you take away their profits by a third, that's a tough business as it is. Mike, it's not looking good. They Something's got to change. They have to get the exclusive content again.
1: I don't disagree. I just don't see how that happens. Right. And that's that's why I've said, I mean, I could see it happening with exclusivity contracts with the biggest players in the theatrical market. But again, that's going to hurt your small art house theaters anyway. Right. Because they're learning that Godzilla
0: versus Kong still plays well. Both. Right. And they're learning that. All right. Conjuring still plays well at both. They're learning which movies still play well in theaters while all us older jerks are staying at home. Or what, what's going to get us back into the theaters? Are they going to learn that? Well, it wasn't in the heights. What will get uh, an older demographic in theaters as well, or instead of just staying at home to watch it, or instead of just waiting three weeks? Because that are they going to learn from now? And who drives that? Like, it,
1: like if a big director throws, if a Christopher Nolan throws a fit, is that going to be enough to sway a major studio for a theatrical exclusive, or is it not going to matter after a while? Like, are they obviously Villeneuve wanting this to be a theater exclusive? I, WB doesn't care, <laughs> and it's WB's yeah. call. It's WB's right. So I'm wondering, is this death by a thousand cuts or is this death by a
0: couple of huge body blows down the line if one of these chains goes down without a a backer that, you know, backs it up properly? Like if Apple buys a movie theater chain and actually, you know, reinvigorates the movie going business, that's one thing. But if Apple buys a movie going chain, makes it into Apple stores or makes it into some other experience that doesn't really, you know get us back in movie theaters again, what does that do? We talked about that a year ago.
1: There's, I mean, the the landscape is rife for innovation. That's all I can keep going back to, to be if you want me to be optimistic at all about that. Like there's a huge opportunity here for someone. I just happen to think like you just kind of laid out, the opportunity is going to be another major conglomerate that's already established that doesn't yet have its toe deep into the movie industry is going to just claim that too. And that's, I don't know if that makes anything better.
0: Yeah, and people were wondering why we did an hour and a half on the Paramount Accords. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. No. Look, I mean, we're. I, I'm not saying we're patting ourselves. We haven't predicted everything at all, but we were on this one. Yep. This is scary. This is scaring us now for for a lot of reasons, and I, unfortunately, I, I don't see film Twitter raising the alarm, and it's and it's that is even more worrisome to me. Welp. the power of the dog, though, Mike, you predicted the power of the dog would probably be an Oscars player because Kirsten Dunst, who's from your 2003 where you're a man lost in time and still trapped in. So Kirsten Dunst, you predicted for her for an Oscar and it's looking good that she's going to be Oscar
1: worthy. Yeah, this is the time of the episode where we put on our candy striped seersucker jackets and you play Mm -hmm. the piano and I like start shucking and jiving to distract everyone. (laughs) Right. Everything's fine. It's cool. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) what was this? Uh, I believe this was Variety that confirmed that the Power of the Dog is going to be playing Venice as well. And they actually were able to provide some uh, nuggets of info, both about its debut and about the Power of the Dog film itself. This is from Elsa Keslassi and Nick Vivarelli. And I apologize if I mispronounced those both over at Variety that, yes, uh, this movie will be at venice it's a netflix movie so netflix itself will be at venice and it will be competing uh in venice for its debut and for the Venice competition there it'll be in competition uh, something Venice something uh, I'm sorry that Can was not offering the streaming giant of course and that's why the whole Netflix Can stand off and stare down was happening we reported on that last week in our ORC then uh, and also this article discusses that it's going to be Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Clemens. they will be brothers like we kind of speculated on Doctor Strange is going to be cruel and brooding Jesse Plemons is going to be more aloof and kind hearted and it'll be Plemons character who secretly married kirsten dunst and cumberbatch resolves to destroy the dunst character so that's some updates about what the power of the dog content will have
0: and everybody's against type which i love perfect I, I love yeah, it's so kinda much. cool. so that that, that that's really because cumberbatch has played the you know the opposite of that he's played the, i i thought i i figured he was going to take the dark turn here mm-hmm. and and i i was i I thought Jesse Plemons would have more edge to him, but the fact that Jesse Plemons is just big and happy, I'm I'm glad for him, because he's been mean and and nefarious in all these other (laughs) movies lately.
1: Still not sure where Thomas and Mackenzie comes in, though. No mention of her in that article.
0: She's got to be with Benedict, no? They have the multiple syllabic names, and they're together, (laughs) because that's That's the attraction. That's all you need. She was just really good in uh, the uh, the uh, Bunny King movie, uh, the Justice of Bunny King, Thompson McKenzie that I saw at Tribeca, which I loved. So film festivals are still thriving, Michael. And speaking of <laughs> film festivals, we have Barry Jenkins returning as a conquering hero to yeah. Telluride as the quote unquote prestigious title of guest director.
1: So I, Telluride is something we talk about, and every year we talk about it, I feel like it gets bigger and bigger, and it's becoming more legitimized, and that's a cool thing, and yes, uh, Barry Jenkins will play guest director, and I guess every year Telluride has a guest director, and what they do is they kind of pick not necessarily new movies, but just some of their favorite movies to play during their specialized sect of uh, curated, you know, film festival, and Barry Jenkins has mentioned in, in again, the Hollywood Reporter article that he's going to focus on uh, filmmakers of color in this. That's really cool, and it is kind of a conquering hero or returning hero story because Barry Jenkins apparently grew up in and around the Telluride Film Festival. He's done everything from attend as a college student to monitor Q&As to literally sweeping the theater floors of their popcorn after some screenings, so very kind of cool to see this, uh, you know, successful kid comes home and makes good story.
0: Which makes his 2016 launch for Moonlight all the 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 more fitting, and it's it's just something that we we love to watch happen every year uh, yeah. organically, right? We just a great movie winning over the the mo- movie purists in a way. These just movie fans that just spend oodles of money to go to the mountains and watch a ton of movies, not yeah. to go, not to enjoy nature, or to walk around, <laughs> just to go to see one movie after another. And I love that. You know, with the Underground Railroad vying for Emmys, even though this is not a campaigning thing for him Mm -hmm. because the dates don't match up at all. I love that Barry Jenkins is here and he's representing the fact that these film festivals do, you know, light the fire. They do light the spark. I mean, we saw it last year with Nomadland at Venice. That's why we've been covering the Power of the Dog Can Netflix saga, because Venice launched Nomadland last year, something that TIFF, etc., did for... Green Book and Shape of Water, something that Parasite uh, had at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, Shape of Water was at Venice, excuse me. But the last four Best Picture winners, film festival first. Uh, we had, I think, I mm. looked up uh, Spotlight, that played out of competition, so I don't remember 2015 well enough. But we've seen these film festivals launch Best Picture campaigns, and Barry Jenkins is certainly a reminder of that.
1: There's now I'm only in cynical thinking mode, so there's a part of my brain that's going. There's something very American about everyone traveling to like Nature's Diamond in Telluride, Colorado, to stay inside the whole time. But that's that's not you know apropos of nothing right now.
0: We also I also forgot uh, this is dawning on me now. I forgot to write this down. I thought this when I initially read the story, but the power of the dog represents Netflix going back to film festivals, Mike. So that's totally different than. What they did last year. They want to compete. They want to compete and they want to compete in the traditional way. So they're yeah. recognizing what I just said. So Netflix is
1: saying mind. we're fucking tired of making all these big <laughs> movies and not getting Oscars. The cursory history
0: lesson is is a lesson that Netflix learned last year, and I get it. They didn't want to debut all their movies on these virtual film festival, festivals because they have the world's you know biggest streaming service. Might as well debut it on their own. But the festival buzz mattered last year just like it has every year. Even though it was different, it still mattered. Uh,
1: very cool to see, and I, again, if Netflix is going to abandon festivals whole cloth, which they are not doing yet, uh, it's going to be interesting to see the fallout from that, and not only an awards season, but the the effect it'll have on the festival long term, et cetera, and all those. But it's not a reality we have to worry about well, yet. Might be a reality for Cannes we have to worry about in the uh, well, in the next. I year think or two. they
0: were trying to negotiate themselves back into Cannes, and here they are in Venice and maybe that's the the result of the negotiation with Cannes could be and maybe that's just them saying oh, no we're going to have Netflix films premiering at Venice etc etc so that's i mean we'll, we'll have to wait for the etc part but this is a good first step mhm okay mike of course uh, this whole conversation gets back to vortex and vortex is a gasper noe gasper noe film <laughs> Which of course stars Dario Argento, and that has been added to the Cannes Film Festival lineup. God, I'm afraid to ask you this next question, but please tell us more about Gaspar Noe's <laughs> Vortex.
1: I remember being a young boy. <laughs> now, this is from IndieWire. Zach Scharf. Uh, he says, a report in Variety on Vortex can premiere describes Vortex as a documentary-style film revolving around the last days of an elderly couple. So, nothing to see here, right? We all know elderly couples and bizarre directors never combine to produce some of the just... Truly creepiest and most disturbing shit in the history of the medium, right?
0: I swear to God, Gasper, I swear to God. If you show what I'm fearing, you're going to show in this movie, then I am with you to the end, buddy. Uh, that's it. No, no. I, I...
1: Back to the lab, full penetration. Back to the lab.
0: This guy has been one of the most elusive filmmakers going i mean you never know what you're gonna get from one elusive you, uh, <laughs> in terms of expectations you know you're gonna get fucked i was up gonna stuff, say
1: possessed but... by a demon
0: <laughs> yeah i i don't know he just rattles me so i can't even speak cogently right now i don't yeah. i'm totally rattled i don't excited
1: to see that. i mean no gasper Noe and dario argento teaming up is is a cool story on paper <sighs>
0: this is just just
1: this is like dancing around a
0: landmine right now. You're just dancing, you're just dancing, and you're, you're showing off your moves. And you're getting fur, you're getting sweatier and happier. And I know there's a landmine there. Most of our audience knows there's a landmine there. But you just get carried away. You just can't stop dancing. The beat, you're just feeling it. You're just, uh, 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 you know, it's you deserve. You deserve to watch this movie and to do it. All of climax. these movies do to you. We I'm a club
1: goer in Climax right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mike, uh, can acquisitions. We did see Flag Day, which is the Sean Penn movie we talked about getting picked up by MGM. And I think this is an important story because now MGM is owned by Amazon.
1: Yeah, that's great. Here's what I'll say about the can film market at large, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Like, speaking about feeling like you're living in a Gaspar No film or, like, in The Truman Show, if you want to be fascinated and feel like you're living in a simulation, go to deadline.com backslash category backslash can and just scroll down the headlines because Mm -hmm. you're going to see shit there that combines actors and directors and packages that really just film like a Hollywood god is throwing darts at a dartboard and coming up with combinations of talent to work together with, like, Hardly any semblance of a plan. Like, can I interest you in Zoe Kravitz's directorial debut titled Pussy Island starring Channing Tatum? Or how about a Mickey Rourke-Jennifer Carpenter horror movie? What's that? You wanted Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore to star in the next Todd Haynes movie? Say less, fam. And here, come watch Tiffany Haddish team up with Paul Feig or Feig, on a dance dramedy starring Shahadi Wright-Joseph from the live-action Lion King movie and us. Like, these are just... Words,
0: I am really surprised. I did not read that you wrote this in here, and because I I had a whole thing where I just listed out all of these movies. (laughs) This is my fault, people. Uh, Yeah, but
1: you listing those movies had me click on the link, and I was and I went for like three or four pages, and I was like, "What is going on?" Yeah,
0: I thought this was going to be the episode. I didn't think we were going to talk about box office. You know, right. Just terrified face box office uh, conversation for an hour I thought I thought this I, th- I thought we we're gonna look at next year's slate and we we're gonna be like oh my god look at all <laughs> these movies because I, I was intrigued by a few of them and then Shut I just kept up. writing how them you not, down how you not be? Of course and in works. their snapshots yeah it's it it's it's a strange exercise so we weren't gonna go forward forward with it but yeah uh, I think the can market is vibrant and there's a (laughs) lot of deals happening. And the fact that MGM now backed by Amazon, they're already spending money. That's a good sign. And the fact that um, you are already criticizing their purchases everywhere here is also a good sign of normal business for Mike, Mike and Oscar and for, the can't film that's this. my dream job
1: i all i want to do is buy one movie for one major studio at one film festival market that's your dream job now. <laughs> you want to
0: <laughs> oh god help us all and these these are just scripts basically they are right. uh,
1: various stages of their development the right. movies aren't done right. pussy island is not done i all you had to do was tell me that title and i would have spent 30 million dollars on it <laughs> you're not helping your uh, your claws here michael <laughs> all
0: right mike we're gonna finish off the episode this bizarre anxiety ridden <laughs> exercise and wherever we're at now i just know i'm rattled i don't know how to take this going forward but we do have some movie trailers so i'm gonna have to reanalyze all these trailers in the future because i don't trust my judgment <laughs> now but you have you have written down some some thoughts about these trailers, and the first movie trailer here, of course, is Tick, Tick, Boom, starring Andrew Garfield, directorial debut by Lynn manuel Miranda, headed to, of course, Netflix. I hated
1: it, and I thought it looked like shit. <laughs> Until Andrew Garfield got off the screen, and then I gotta tell you, I, I see some Best Picture-worthy stuff. <laughs> Until Andrew Garfield came back on the screen, and then I wanted to throw up in my mouth, how would anyone greenlight this <laughs> dreg? Mm-hmm. And then Andrew Garfield got off the screen, and I gotta tell you, Mike, and it went like that for two minutes.
0: I can't wait to review this movie with you months from now. Uh, I, I gotta ask, though, because I don't understand where this came from. Was it was it silence? Because you have movie grudges. People are coming to us for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. You have movie grudges, and yep. you hold yep. grudges with just characters. Like, you're mm-hmm. afraid of the Gone Girl. What, what was her name? Ros- Rosamond Pike. Yes. Rosamond Pike. You're yeah. afraid of the real Terrific. life Rosamond Pike mm-hmm. because of the character she played that is true. in the movie.
1: And yes. you have serious criticisms of Rosamond Pike. Nobody movies. can get to those depths of depravity without actually being yeah. a little bit real inside. Yeah. So
0: I need to know is this a silence thing? Is this a hacksaw ridge thing? Is this the amazing Spider Man 2? <laughs> Because if it was The Amazing Spider-Man 2, then shame on you, because you should have
1: expected it after after The Amazing Spider-Man 1. Oh, how dare... First of all, first of all, (laughs) I defend The Amazing Spider-Man 2. I didn't think it was that bad. Uh, It wasn't great. I'm happy. I'm happy. (laughs) All right, so where is this Andrew Garfield grudge coming from? All I can say is it makes even less sense, because I loved him so much in the social network. Yeah. That's the thing. In 2010... You and Andrew Garfield, yeah. I mean, you have the teeny bopper poster of Andrew Garfield on your yeah. so metaphorical I, wall. I think it was Hacksaw. Hacksaw Ridge's first hour to me was so embarrassingly bad, and the bad. fact that it was ki- like touted as, as a best picture contender offended me. It's part of the reason that I wanted to start Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Mm. Like, honestly, I I I, just, I thought it was like SNL levels of parody, some of mm. the line delivery, so I think this, that's it. This is explaining
0: a lot in... <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not soothed by your explanation here. I wish I'd never asked it. Uh, Mike, 2014, Lin-Manuel Miranda starred in Tick-Tick Boom. Somehow mm-hmm. get us back on track here. <laughs> a year before Hamilton, so Lin-Manuel Miranda's feature film directorial debut being Tick-Tick Boom. What does that say? That is that this is is this gonna like be a full circle? trailer for our conversation today right because this is like the strange nexus of andrew garfield lin-manuel miranda in the heights of our last month of content but it's also a nexus for this episode because i'm wondering does this directorial debut by lin-manuel miranda represent lin-manuel miranda's writing of in the heights
1: Hmm. because in 2014
0: he was basing his performance based on his writing of in the heights right or he was, he was calling back to that. I know he was writing Hamilton, but he was already established uh, when he was writing Hamilton. He's acting in a Broadway musical. He's got to go back to his days of working odd jobs and, and trying to make it, which is what Andrew Garfield's supposedly doing. And he's got to go back to his In the Heights days for that.
1: And in a meta set, like what does this do industry-wide for Lin-Manuel Miranda too if this is such a success
0: and an Oscar contender? It's
1: Oscars on the contender. backs of right.
0: Andrew Garfield.
1: Well, it all comes back to do, Andrew Garfield. Do you think Netflix would give me a screener with Garfield scrubbed out? <laughs> all I know is I hope
0: uh, you're not the Academy. Is, is the, I know we say we're the Academy of Two at times, but I'm glad in this one instance that you are not the Academy. <laughs> Mike, the eyes of Tammy Faye, we talked about it last week, in terms of its first-look photos, we now have a trailer.
1: Yeah, so if you listened to our episode last week, you heard me say, I'm excited for the potential of this movie, but I also think this, like, may be possibly the single most difficult movie to market for either monetary gain or award success, and those fears were not quelled much by this trailer. Right, it wasn't a
0: funny trailer or anything. It didn't have, like goods delivered to where we're like oh well this would be a
1: fun little journey around uh, yeah it's scandal. like a serious biopic it seems they're just going straight forward straight laced retelling of the story looks like a serious
0: biopic and michael showalter of course is a hilarious comedian mm-hmm. who's directed this film and he's a hilarious uh f- comedian who's directed hilarious films like yep. the big sick mm-hmm. like dramedies like that so i'm i'm a little you know you know, i'm, I'm a little reticent of getting off the michael showalter uh bandwagon because we are on there we reviewed the big of course we loved it however this movie doesn't look it doesn't look like a laugh riot
1: i mean it's a fine enough preview and maybe part of it is like look my cartoonish over the top (laughs) disdain for andrew garfield to sign legitimately that's some awful old man makeup he's wearing in this like take me out of what i'm viewing i can't believe this is a hollywood studio levels of bad
0: yeah it's not great it's not great andrew garfield makeup he is notoriously looked at as being someone who's younger than he than he is right he plays baby faced yeah across the board and he's he's older right how old is andrew garfield
1: not old enough no i don't know
0: Dude's my age. He's thirty-seven. Yeah. And I look like I'm forty seven.
1: So th- here's He's more. the yin to your yang.
0: Yeah, and he looks he's playing the guy just trying to make it on Broadway right. for the first time. Right. Yeah. This year. <laughs> but also he's the uh Dana Carvey playing George H. W. Bush <laughs> with that level of makeup.
1: Yeah, I have concerns. I have concerns about this one, Mike, for sure.
0: Yeah, and only 37-year-olds will laugh at that joke. And 33-year-olds who... <laughs> who, uh, How old are you now?
1: <laughs> anyway, you watched older content when you were 15, younger. 15 still, who cares?
0: Michael, Tammy Faye's makeup actually looks good. I mean, the Jessica Chastain plastic middle-aged surgery face, yeah. that fits. That looks like Tammy Faye Baker That I would say, back from the day. And actually, when I saw her age in the trailer... I remembered who Tammy Faye Baker was from my childhood, so that actually that actually maybe, worked on me.: yeah,
1: maybe that's a secret of this I, I, I still have no idea who this is supposed to be who's supposed to be the audience for this movie? You, you should be glad
0: though, because you didn't you weren't exposed to tammy Faye Baker you weren't exposed to the Bakers growing up watching Christian movie channels Again, I have all this religious baggage right, right
1: mm-hmm. So, so how, how can this movie this one, be like funny? The so this one helped you. You can relate to this one. And because you can relate to it, you will avoid it. <laughs> I Again, I don't it. know who this is targeted to.
0: <laughs> I need to be paid to watch this. Yeah, I, I don't want to watch this movie going in. And I'm, I'll reluctantly watch it, of course. But Michael, Pig. yeah, Pig is a movie about a truffle hunter. Lives in the woods. Who uses a pig to help him find those priceless truffles. And because of the Truffle Hunters documentary I saw last year, Michael. They are... You know, high priced. Every day he hunts these, for these truffles with his pet pig who sleeps in his bed. <laughs> and Pig, of course, stars Academy Award winner Nicolas Cage.
1: Look, man, we got to stop putting Academy Award winner to sell Nick Cage and anything anymore. We got, like, we just collectively, he's not that guy anymore. So, this... what movie put
0: this thought in your head finally?
1: Probably Mandy. Mandy, like, really? So it's yeah, been the triumvirate of like Mandy, yeah. the one he just did with the horror like animatronic band at the broken down amusement park. That's a horror mm-hmm. movie, and he doesn't. Speak Willy's or. Wonderland. which yeah, and, I,
0: refuse, I just refuse to watch <laughs> it at this point. And this, I
1: know it's on Hulu, right? Like he's, I put this on Twitter, and I really like when Nick Cage goes to his manager and was like, "Hey, I'm interested in this script." His manager just got to be resigned at this. Yeah, go for it, Nick. <laughs> Nothing I say has mattered in 25 years to you. <laughs> when, when Sundance, when that film at Sundance,
0: he had Chekhov's testicle bombs <laughs> on each testicle <laughs> I, I, on the suit that was given to him by the bad guy. Step uh. out of line, and that testicle bomb will go off one at a time. <laughs> when that happened, yeah, I would I would agree with this statement about let's not... You know, go back. and Doubt Nicholas Cage. As he's two different
1: whatever. guys. Like he used to take subdued roles, and they would gradually end up in chaos. Right. And now he's just Gary my, Busey. <laughs> Gary Busey. If right. my character isn't covered in someone else's blood at some point i'm not taking this role but this is neon this is an art house this is a
0: vibrant robust art house that's crushing it over the years with best picture winners yeah. on their recent resume michael and here we have this trailer where it's like john wick but with nicholas cage after his stolen truffle pig and
1: i would die for that pig so congratulations right? neon on having another best picture winner here <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> no, I hope the pig eats him in the third
0: <laughs> act. That's what I that would hope be for. So I mean so funny. <laughs> right. And that, that's where this is going. Um, no cage. <laughs> Just getting eaten. Ah, the bees. No, the pig. Oh, it's terrible.
1: Uh it's kind of episode. We, I want to see this movie though. I mean the trailer worked on me. I don't know about you. I wanna see it. I'm not like yeah, the trailer I thought well, you know, it's a man and his pet it's john wick with a pig yeah and he's just gonna go and
0: to to one ro- restaurant tour after the next mm-hmm. and hunt that pig down it ends up veggies. with him
1: in that bradley cooper chef movie <laughs>
0: <laughs> michael gunpowder milkshake just seems like a cool trailer right
1: i think the eyes of tammy faye could learn a thing or two from this one actually on how to market your film um My second thought was that The Matrix 4 really is going to have to be ultra impressive because Hmm. what was made revolutionary by them in the 20 years following has become so commonplace and normal that we pretty much get a Matrix-inspired looking film weekly on netflix at this point which is where you can find gunpowder netflix july 14th when it debuts but yeah i thought this was a a badass cool looking trailer you got the mother-daughter atomic blonde-esque ass kicking twosome in uh karen gillian and and lena hetty you got the the aliens inspired uh mother figure that gillian has to play in taking care of uh of this little small girl and keeping her safe from Paul Giamatti's goons and grunts, I, this mm-hmm. one looked cool. So, since you're a man trapped in
0: 2003, <laughs> is it 2004? <laughs> yes. 19, 1999's The Matrix and the wirework thereof, and all the, you know, the the, the action set pieces. I, I I would be sure that the derivation is not. I mean, that's not the the that is not the derivation of this kind of a look for an action movie that's john woo probably someone before john woo uh, again it was I'm like so the, you didn't
1: you didn't the slow-mo in this didn't remind you of a little matrix that there's all kinds of slow-mo with bullets yeah, but flying out of guns
0: not matrix that's john woo and and again probably five directors before john woo
1: oh i see i see I, bibiani I yeah, you're right you're yeah, right i it, misunderstood your point yes, true, yes you're right a true <laughs> action movie uh
0: yeah, but it A was called Bullet no. Time.
1: Like we, it's casually gotten the name of Bullet Time. Yeah, and it, yeah. that's due to its yeah. placement in the. I'm not saying the Matrix did it first. You're absolutely. I, I get right. it. You're, You're thinking right. of all of the yeah Wanted
0: after right. that and movies like yeah this movie looks like Wanted to me, <laughs> and maybe we thought that uh, what was that shoot uh, Shoot 'em up with Alice uh, Allison Brie that you didn't like and I liked. It wasn't called Shoot em Up, was it?
1: Shoot 'em up was also a movie that existed oh shoot em up was with paul giamatti wasn't it this is we this is we were your parents we've go, we've gone too far we've gone
0: not allison Bree no oh uh brie God. larson Bree larson i got half the name right i keanu <laughs> we're that that's it we've we've devolved into that trailer to that commercial that I'm calling a trailer the pictures uh-huh. we're talking about the pictures here Son what of- the hell free fire free fire thank, thank god for imdb <laughs> free
1: fire what a moment in mike mike and oscar history that was you know let it all play aren't you <laughs> michael what was this the tr- point you were going for there
0: <laughs> i don't even remember it took like 17 <laughs> turns now i forget i was i was i was it's all started where all good Mike, Mike, and Oscar Rant start. <laughs> me trying to break your balls. And uh, we wound up here. Just me with the testicle bombs exploding <laughs> on my own person. All Mike I want to do Cage. now is
1: watch Shoot'em Up, by the
0: way. <laughs> like,
1: what but happened? you want to
0: watch this movie because Karen Gillan. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah somehow I mean, looks, it looks this good. I, I'm, I'm excited to see it. I don't know that it necessarily will have any kind of awards merit to it, but it looks really freaking cool. Yeah, Angela Bassett, Michelle
0: Yeoh, Karen Gillen, they've been great athletes in movies before. So if you're going to do all the wire work action movie stuff with those great athletes, let's go. I'm ready. And, uh, the fact, Alina Heaty, I think she, I've heard her, like, give 10 Game of Thrones, uh, interviews before where she's like, I'm not a good athlete. So I didn't group her with that. But she's done awesome action movies too, like Dread, etc. Mm. So, she, you know, for her to be the, uh, the one with the gravitas, the mother of Karen Gillen. That that's
1: fun. Michael Davis wrote and directed Shoot 'em up and that was the last movie he directed.
0: <laughs> Is that that's a series right there. Which the final movie of what movie ended careers? Movie movies that ended careers. There's a series. so that's your oscar
1: race checkpoint
0: (laughs) boondock saints shoot him up
1: yeah we got a series oh sure we could dive into that yeah actually that sounds like something that's so out of pocket that i would get so much enjoyment out of and i would drive you crazy with yeah i immediately don't want to
0: do it anymore this is a terrible decision i immediately regret this decision which of course is an end of the 2000s movie that i've just quoted (laughs) Perfect. Early 2000s, where I made fun of you for being trapped in this whole episode.
1: Just, Here we go. This one belongs on under Mount Rushmore of Mike, Mike, and Oscar episodes, I think. We were so serious for so long, and it just. This industry is breaking us, I think, is what this yeah. is completely lose our credibility by the end of every episode.
0: That's where these go. We start out like these Oscar pundits. You this get esteem. no
1: more better legal and business analysis, but you also have to take the mental fatigue that comes with it.
0: Yep. I'm making terrible jokes about Gaspar No movies, old people, pornography, on the can Film Festival mm-hmm. screen. All comes down to testicle bombs and Nicolas Cage movies. <laughs> which is a real thing, and it ends with just nonsense.
1: Mm -hmm. And that's where this one's going to end. It's
0: always going. Yeah, it's always going
1: there. (laughs) That's where this one's going to end as well. Uh, As always, dear listener if you're still here, uh, we want to hear from you about all of these, primarily about the biggest issue in this episode. Uh, what are your thoughts about the future of theaters? How streaming is going to play a role into that? Uh, already the, the innovations that have come and what do you think will happen? Uh, you can leave us those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything we do here in the MMO Empire through the giggles and the seriousness on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at Oscar on Twitter. And if you're listening to us on the apple podcast app right now if you'd be so kind as to go into that app they just renovated it they like totally redid it i'm still not used to that's how i know i'm getting old i can't keep up with technology anymore
0: but that's right we could do a half hour on the new (laughs) itunes and how we don't like it anymore because it's new
1: You would be so kind and you can figure out your way around that thing to leave yeah, us. yeah you five gotta st- change your
0: whole spiel now because <laughs> just click on this just yeah. we had it down
1: i don't know how to do i really don't so if you know how to leave us a five-star <laughs> review if you could tell me that'd be great no,
0: tell everybody else too yeah
1: and tell everyone else as well mike's right yeah so uh, do that that's your homework <laughs> as well <laughs> michael i don't know where i am in this spiel uh what's coming next from us and what are some words of wisdom to end on of course we're doing fast and furious movies <laughs> which you could probably blame for all of this uh
0: fast nine the the fast saga that's where it's going to end we got a special guest uh for that one we got our third fast and furious miniseries episode to come next week and then we're going to do something with tribeca we don't know when we're going to do our variety show special but i'm having a blast watching all these movies at the Tribeca Film Festival. I'm 20 movies deep. I'll probably watch another 10 at least, so I'm having fun. And uh, I got a lot of cool movies to talk to you guys about. Celtics traded Kemba Walker today, too. So They did. They did. He's old as well. He's our age. It's true.
1: <clears throat> it was a simpler time.
0: <laughs> all right. Well. Al Horford's even older. <laughs> Making moves.
1: Guys. When reality or like your sanity or your basketball team, anything sucks. You can come. Hopefully, have some laughs with us after all the chaos of the seriousness. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon.
0: See you.